Welcome, everybody, to Two Queers, One Film, live from my parents' basement. It's me, Jennifer, a film virgin, with my friend, Dylan, a film nerd. And in this uh, little podcast, he takes me by the hand to watch uh, pop pop culture, significant movies, movies that he thinks everyone should watch, or just, you know, general movies I have never seen, because apparently I've never seen a movie in my entire life. Not one. Not one, except all of the Studio Ghibli films. I've watched those several times. Understandable. And of the cin- cin- Cinemera. Cin- oh. I can't pronounce that word. Also, you're a furry. Got it. Yes. I mean, <laughs> did you see Tovu in Lion 2? Lion King 2? Mm. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so this podcast is probably a couple days to a week late because Dylan and I decided after filming two episodes, that we should move entirely. Uh, yeah, uproot our entire lives. Uproot and... our entire lives. So a short synopsis of what I did. I essentially shoved my cat into a car and drove with her for eight hours. Uh, she pooped in it. That was great. And now I'm oh, in my shit. She did. I told you that. It was awful. Oh, God. Uh, so now I'm in my parents' basement, like the cool 26-year-old I am. And Dylan and his family decided to move houses as well. Yeah, we moved from one end of this town to the other end of the town. and On the hottest weekend in Canada. Oh my god, the heat wave. It was a lot of moving in the mornings and a lot of moving at from like 9pm to 3am. Just honestly, I went outside that weekend and I was just like, oh, it can't be that hot. Just a sauna. It's just a straight oh, yeah. up awful. I'm glad like not to sound like ungrateful but it's like now whenever it's like 27 degrees outside i'm just like you know what at least it ain't 44 right that's all i gotta say right i'll take it i don't care anymore. like many apologies to our probably three listeners we're gonna try to keep three listeners (laughs) yeah (laughs) shout out to that one person from germany i think i hope you're still listening yeah they're from germany they're from germany (laughs) We don't know who you are, but we love you. And then I guess on my end, yeah, we moved to the other end of the town, and all my plants have acclimated well to my new room. It's the same direction of my old window, northeast, but one of my calatheas has decided to just die because oh, of the humidity. You? Okay, it's not like dead, but the leaves are curling up. She's oh, like no. sending, saying her last final thoughts and prayers because. The humidity. I should you not. Temperature, by the way, it's the same. 25 to 30 degrees in my room. Mm-hmm. I know it's a lot, but I have a, like a fan. I, I live with it. I, I love plants. I'll live with like a little bit of humidity. But the humidity is 10% lower. So it's at like 50% humidity. Oh, so it's having a fit. Yeah. And it's like, it's so bizarre because it's like the same amount of sunlight, the same direction of where the sun like um, rises, mm-hmm. same amount of water same water rainwater so same distilled water but yeah 10 percent lower humidity she decides to grab out on me um so i'm trying to nurse her back to health because she's honestly one of my favorite plants it's a pinstripe plant for anyone who's curious a calathea ornata um very beautiful i love mine but like uh, bb is having a hard time acclimating but all my other plants are like fine <laughs> i sincerely so. love that during this covid you've become a plant gay i did too and it's just like it's something fine. i never mm-hmm. it's something i never would have thought i would get into but 
you know, here I am with, here uh, we are. I believe it's 24 plants at the moment. You have 24 plants? Yeah, I'm getting a oh couple more, Jen. I'm sorry. If I, if I run into a curly spider plant, it's over. It's if over. I run into a bear paw cactus, it's over. Like, there are still, like, wishless plants. But they're wishless plants for a reason. Like, they're hard to come by. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'll get them every weekend. But if I see it, like, I'm going to get it. No, I totally understand. Um, so that's my life update, pretty much. Everything's going well. Mm-hmm. Other than my one plant out of 24. Not bad, considering... Um, just yeah, sucks it is one of my favorites though. Yeah. Same for me. I'm probably gonna be living in my parents' place for the next uh eight-ish months, because I think I'm gonna go back to the capital come end of March, end of April. <gasps> oh, that's perfect. Maybe I'll edit this out or keep it in. I'm planning a trip there in that oh, gym, really? by the way. Yeah. Uh, for my twenty-seventh. Oh, so. you should. Yeah, because, like, eventually I still want to go back to school, but my, you know, the university would just get oh. back to me. And yeah, and by the way, even if you aren't Thompson, I'm still going to go up north, too. Like, I'm planning, like, a good excursion to all my Don't family people and friends. Thompson. What if I get kidnapped? Kidding, he's going to kidnap me. <laughs> <laughs> Those two, okay, I'll probably really edit this out. Sorry mm-hmm. to go on this tangent. I, I'm still not over. Those two BC boys that killed that couple... Oh and my went God, through Thompson, right? went through our fucking hometown. I like, mean, like I get it, crazy. but like at the same time, you don't think a couple, you don't think we're gonna notice a couple of new white people in town? Oh, are you kidding me? All the gay right? guys are jumping on that. All the women oh are jumping God, on that. Right? <laughs> Back in their hometown, are you kidding me? They want to stood up one population decline from it being like an Amish city here and everyone committing <laughs> incest by accident. <laughs> by accident. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be like Iceland and we're going to have to make an app to check how closely related we are. Oh, we'll be like that family with purple skin in like Louisiana. Google it. I'm serious. Blue, purple skin. Because of them. Uh... No, seriously, Jeff, because of their genes, their family tree is so. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, their skin's literally like silvery, purple, blue. I mean, that's kind of cool, but at what cost? Yeah. Incest? But you get blue skin. What a trade-off. Wow. Okay. This well, week... speaking of uncomfortable moments, we watched Taxi Driver. Yeah, this week this week we're talking about Martin Scorsese's 1976 film Taxi Driver. And uh, as usual, Jen, have you heard about Martin Scorsese or any of his films? I have an inclination of who Martin Scorsese is. Have I watched any of his films? Probably not. And this one made me uncomfortable. What about Robert De Niro? Which I feel I like know, is... I know who Robert you mean okay. Meet the Fucker Star? I was, oh my god, I was at work and I was thinking about it. I was like, this is like the second person from Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents whose movie we watch. And by the <laughs> way, Barbara Streisand's directorial debut, Yentl, is on our letterbox list. So Perfect. like, who knows? We'll have three out of the how many stars of Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. <laughs> we got Dustin Hoffman. Now we have Robert De Niro, and pretty soon we're going to get Barbara Streisand, so like might as well just watch all those movies as the actors were in at this Can point. Can we also watch the movies where Robert De Niro voices anthropomorphic animals? Hold on, I gotta look for that one. Robert De Niro. <laughs> well, while Jennifer is Googling that, 
taxi driver is set in a decaying and morally bankrupt New York City following the Vietnam War. The film follows our protagonist, Travis Bickle, played by Robert De Niro, a taxi driver and war veteran, and his deteriorating mental state as he works nights in the city. Yes, and it stars Robert De Niro of Shark Tale fame. Robert De Niro. Oh, right, he played the mob! Yeah, he played um, the, the shark mob! Dead. He played the shark dead, that's right. Well, did Jan, he play the shark dad, the... or did he play the mob fish? No, he played the mob fish, which was the dad, and holy no, no. shit, was that Jen, the mob fish? It was both, no, it was the mob fish a... and the dad. Was it? Yeah, oh. because, because like, his son wasn't, his son was, like, a little squishy, you know, like, you know. Why do I remember Shark's Tale? I hate myself. What? <laughs> Why do I have that? was an a... iconic movie. Another girl, another thing, another animation. Dustin, Ho- Dustin Hoffman played Jack Black's dad in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, Thanks, see, dad. see, 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 it's coming this? around. Oh my god, we're through the looking glass here, people. How was the shark? Did Scorsese play the mo- the the owner of the uh, car wash then? No, wait. Was Scorsese? Was that Martin Scorsese? It was kind of looked like him, right? With the Probably, glasses I... and the eyebrows. Because I remember it's just people being like, "Why the hell is so and so in Shark Tale?" So okay. This is gonna become a Shark Tale podcast <laughs> instead. Because now I got surprise. This out. is a Shark Tale episode, you guys. I'm sorry. Okay, Will Smith, Renee Zellweger, Jack Black, Robert De Niro. It is Martin Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? It's what? it's really good to see that. Uh, these two people who created this great movie, Taxi Driver, later on grow, get back together to create another great movie, Shark Tale. Starring the iconic Christina Aguilera and Katie Couric. Yes. As well. What the fuck, Jen? That's wild. <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we watched the 1976's Taxi Driver. Yeah, yeah. And oh. my god, no, no, I stopped to do info, girl. Okay. Sorry. Just get, let me yeah. do, like, two things, and then we'll go into it. And our... I can go back on my Shark Tale rant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though, I'll add it to the episode. Okay, so <clears throat> so Taxi Driver was directed by Martin Scorsese, born November 17th, 1942. Obviously, he's an American film director, producer, mm-hmm. screenwriter, actor, one of the major figures of the new Hollywood era. He is widely regarded as one of the greatest and most influential film directors in history. By the way, yes, I am reading the Wikipedia straight from the horse's mouth or ass, whatever that saying is. I've just been busy with the move. I I just didn't have time to write up my own, you know, like quick little things. So if anyone's going to call me out on that, I'm calling myself out already right now. Yes, I'm reading (laughs) the Wikipedia. You can't cancel me when I cancel myself. (laughs) Scorsese's body of work explores themes such as Italian-American identity, Catholic concepts of guilt, redemption, faith, masochism, nihilism, crime, and secretarian... Secretarianism? It's like secretarianism. Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know. Many of his films are known for their depiction of violence and the liberal use of profanity. Scorsese has also dedicated his life to film preservation and restoration by founding the nonprofit organization, the Film Foundation in 1990, as well as the World Cinema Foundation in 2007, and the African Film Heritage Project in 2017. It's so he can get get forgiveness for dropping the N-word a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, you know what it's for. It's so he can go to the Criterion Closet and just pick out however many movies he wants to. This film also stars Robert De Niro Jr., born August seventeenth, nineteen forty three. He is also an American actor, producer, and director. He's particularly known for his nine collaborations with Martin Scorsese. He has won two Academy Awards, a Golden Globe Award, a Cecil B. DeMille Award, a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. And in 2009, De Niro received the Kennedy Center Honor and received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from the U.S. President Barack Obama in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. And before I continue, I'm just going to... I'm just going to let it out. Um, Robert De Niro in this movie, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) He is such a fine, fine, fine. Hey, look, I understand in some shots, very attractive, but I don't know. I don't know if I could. I I could fix him. Also, just to let you know, I do have the movie playing in the background again, so it can jog my memory a little bit more. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it is about <clears throat> sickly white looking guys with nicotine addictions and anger issues, but I can fix them. I can fix them. <laughs> All right, one more thing, and then we'll continue on. Mm-hmm. Scorsese said he wanted the film to feel like a dream to the audiences, and of course, he achieved this with the amazing cinematographer Michael Chapman. Taxi Driver was scored and composed by Bernard Herrmann, and this was his final score before his death. It's a the fantastic was... score. Oh, yeah. He is known for so many, like, Alfred Hitchcock movies like Psycho, North by Northwest, mm-hmm. Vertigo. He also did Citizen Kane, The Day That Earth Stood Still, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, Cape Fear, Fahrenheit 451. He also helped Orson Welles with his radio dramas, and he did, like, The Twilight Zone. He's the one who did the made that Twilight Zone theme, you know. Ooh. So he's like, yeah, he's he's done a lot of amazing things, Very, psycho, yeah. iconic, yeah, kind of themes throughout his his career. And at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival, Taxi Driver was awarded the Honorable Palm Dior. The film was theatrically released by Columbia Pictures on February 8, 1976 where it was a critical and commercial success, despite generating controversy, and this is where we're getting into it, for its depiction and violence and the casting of then 12-year-old Foster in a, cho- in a role of yeah. a child prostitute. Yeah. Um, hold on, we'll get to it. Hold on. At the 49th Academy <laughs> Awards, it received four nominations, Best Actor for De Niro, Best Supporting Actress for Foster. Best Supporting Actress? Well, I guess it's not Best Actress. Mm-hmm. So. Because okay, I guess okay, it was like guess. best actress would have gone to the female lead. Well, oh, the she other wasn't, one. Yeah, she wasn't in that movie a lot either. Well, neither of them were now that I think about it. Yeah. Well, in 1980, 1994, the film was considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the U.S. Library of Congress and then selected for the preservation in, national, in the National Film Registry. Okay, last part before we get into the, our breakdown and our mm-hmm. <laughs> review. Jodie Foster is also in this film, and this was her breakout role. She was in a ton of, you know, TV TV spots before then. Mm-hmm. But yes, let us address everything. We'll get into the racism. She was a fantastic actress in this movie. I am deeply <sighs> disturbed about the fact that she was 12 years old in it. She was 12 years old portraying a child prostitute, you guys. Yeah. You guys. She was trying to unzip Robert De Niro's pants in this. 
Oh my god, the costumes they put her in, and she oh, had to go without underwear. The, the slow dancing with Harvey Keitel, <laughs> girl. It's just it wasn't necessary. No. And by the way, I think we all know who Jodie Foster is. Who's listening? Um, a panic. I'm not even looking at the Wikipedia. You know, Panic Room, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, and a bunch of like younger spots on like 70s and 60s mm. TV. I don't know about deeply Amazing talented woman. actress. Like she's oh, smart, talented. Oh, 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 for fucking sure. You know, I I love her so much. Mm. Let's go lesbians. Yeah, and, like, she's great in this movie. I just don't think she should need... Like, I understand oh. why she was casted and stuff, because she's a fantastic actress, even at 12 years old. I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but, like... And, like, I get, like, originally he wanted someone older, and then Jody showed up, and blah, 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 and it's just like, oh, yeah. But, like, some of the things they had her do, it was very much just, like, she's 12. I feel so bad, because... <laughs> Remember we read that interview with her, and yeah. her mom was like, well, if you think Jody can do it, sure. And it's like, ooh, what kind of parents? And I like, I understand not everyone is comfortable talking about their childhood traumas. Mm-hmm. So I do understand when Jody Foster talks about the filming of this movie. Number one, she always mentions the uncomfortable clothing and all how hot it was that summer. Mm-hmm. But number two, she also mentions how great it was to work with Robert De Niro. And how he gave her, like, good acting advice. But that's yeah. it. She never really talks about Martin Scorsese or anything else, really, yeah. about the production. And I don't blame her. She probably doesn't really want to remember too much about being pretty much abused, in a sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, <clears throat> abused by her parents. Things that they put through child actors through. It's just mm-hmm. horrible. So, you know, I don't blame her. And, by the way, last thing. Get this in perspective. The same year... Do you want to know what movie she was in that came out? Mm. The original 1976 Freaky Friday. Oh my god. So she simultaneously played a 12-year-old prostitute and was a, the little girl in Freaky Friday who switches with her mom <sighs> the same year. That's just... Can oh you imagine god. if that came out this like nowadays? Oh my god. People would have a fit. I'm having a fit. Under- yeah, understandably. Like... <laughs> Like, her role was, like, in later in the movie and stuff, but still just the fact that they went, yeah, let's put a 12-year-old as a prostitute. And it's just, like, really? Like, you it didn't just add went, anything. It didn't add anything. Her being no. 12 didn't make it any more tragic. Yeah, like, her being a runaway, we'll get more into it, but, like, her mm. being a runaway and her parents thanking Travis, it could have still been, like, a woman regardless of her age. Like, it especially could, yeah. could have been a grown woman. Like, oh, my God, we haven't seen her since she was a kid, you know? That would have been more... Well, it's also, like... What's the main character's name again? Travis? Travis. Travis yeah. yeah. It's like Travis is... No, maybe they do say his age. He's like 29 or something. Jen, like it could, he's our age. Oh, God. That's disgusting. He's 26. Yeah. He's 20, okay, he's 26 in this movie. Yeah. So, like, having a 12-year-old isn't, like... Doesn't make it any more tragic. She could have been easily his age. To, like... Yeah. To kind of juxtaposition of him working and stuff and being in the military and her being just, like, a lady <laughs> of the evening. But no, they really went, yeah, let's put a 12-year-old in this. This is fine. All right, we're anyway, getting into it, so, like, let's get into it, then. Oh, the dancing scene. I don't want to get into the dancing scene. Not me hearing my father comment on my mother's butt. <laughs> All right. So, All right. The film opens up with our protagonist, Travis Bickle, looking for a job. 
in the so great he, city of New York. So he goes to this, um, I'm not too sure if we see like the company itself, but he goes for an interview and the interviewer asks him, you know, um, name, age, education, just normal. <laughs> I guess in the 70s that was normal. Just like, eh, where'd you go to school? Did you finish high it's, school? <laughs> yeah, literally you could just walk into places and like your oh, resume sure. would that's why a lot of people go just like, well, make sure you show up at the place and like let them know that you're interested in a job. And nowadays it's just like, no, it's apply online, online rat- resume. Like mm-hmm. this is our first shot where we get into, we get into the psyche of our protagonist, Travis Bickle, because in, in the background behind the person who's interviewing him, we see two people bickering notably a white man and a black man yeah and it it showcases not only that aspect of what's going on in in the background in the city but also too it shows how travis tends to focus more on the negative aspects of life yeah than like the pot like the positive which is like he's probably going to get this job and to focus on that but instead his focus is on the violence of or whatever of you know two people arguing in the background Mm -hmm. So, he lands the job and starts driving, as he calls it, the venile degenerates around New York City. And some other words that we cannot <laughs> say on this podcast because they are technically slurs. I, I do not feel comfortable. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable. As even though our podcast is called Two Queers on Film, that's the whole thing of gay people not really mm-hmm. comfortable with that, yada yada. Will Dylan drop the F-bomb on this film? Perha- on this uh, podcast, perhaps. I did on uh, Female Trouble, but that was when I was having recording problems, so you couldn't really hear me. <laughs> so, Travis says he'll work anytime, anywhere. Holidays, weekends, Bronx, Coney Island. Jewish know, holidays. So- <laughs> oh yeah, that was right. Jewish holidays. So, anytime, anywhere. So he starts driving mostly at nighttime, and he eventually... Um, and he's okay with picking up people in the more downtrod areas of New York. I think that's like Harlem. Um, the Bronx, yeah. The Bronx, oh. all that stuff. And during this scene, too, we also see how he has a proclivity to, like... So this is the thing. This is where Martin Scorsese does it, because even Travis never explains it. He calls everyone a degenerate, and everyone mm-hmm. vile, and yada yada. But we have scenes of him, I guess, stalking, where he's driving slowly behind sex workers. Yeah. And I can't tell if it's, like, in a derogatory way, like, I want to have sex with them, or in, like, a what-are-you-doing-with-your-life kind of I don't even think it's that. I think it's just because he's so used to being a taxi driver who's okay with picking up the degenerates, the lowlifes, the blah-blah-blah of New York City. That he's slowing. He's slowing down in case one of them needs to hail a tag, oh. uh, a cab because <laughs> that makes more sense. A tag, a, a cab because like um, very much like in that same scene, he picks up what is a nice-looking young woman and much older man, and then as the scene plays out, you kind of start realizing, oh, uh, this is a sex worker and her and her John. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Come on, baby, like all that. <laughs> shit and he says and so the few the first like few minutes of this is just like a peek into travis's routine which is driving the taxi and in the early morning he takes a taxi back to the headquarters cleans yep. up as he says the cum sometimes the blood a lot yep. of the times the blood from the back seat and he 
two steps out the door, he's like immediately, you know, swigging on that little, <laughs> what do you call those little flask? Um, flask, thank you. He's swigging on the flask, like two steps. But honestly, yeah. can you blame him? <laughs> oh, he's Maybe. a veteran and stuff. He's in New York. Like, it's very much shown that the, this is the <sighs> beginning of Travis's contradictory nature. And let's talk about that a little bit. Obviously, he was in he was in the Marines. Honorable mm-hmm. discharge, which, by the way, Jen, I looked into it. Honorable discharge is what most people got when they got sent back home. Yep. From Vietnam. So you <clears throat> you have to really mess up in the military to get discharged dishonorably. Yeah. But besides that first scene with the interview where he talks about being a Marine, and obviously mm-hmm. in the Vietnam War, he says Vietnam never really gets mentioned again. Never. But it's yeah. also like my theory is something happened in the war. I mean, obviously with a lot of the veterans in Vietnam, mm-hmm. but with Travis, I think I think he experienced something that really like just made him have such a negative view on society and the what world at home. And it's an interesting thing that you say that too, because a lot of with like um, Travis's mentions when he talks about stuff, it does play into the film later or is like shown later, but his military background is never really mm-hmm. shown. Which it's the one thing that isn't. Yeah, it's not the one thing that is shown later on in the film or even as a background object, which almost makes me like suspect that we, we talked about how you can kind of read Travis as an autistic character and he does consume a lot of television and all that stuff. It almost makes me wonder if Travis is playing not yeah, is playing a role of a military veteran to either garner sympathy or to better connect with his fellow man because as he's doing that interview with the um I guess the head of the, the taxi corporation or whatever. Oh, um, yeah. The, yeah, the the guy who's interviewing him, the guy in, mentions so it's like, oh yeah, I also was in the Marines. And there's never really like in a lot of films when they talk about how they're a veteran or a Marine or whatever, they'll casually mention, oh yeah, like what unit were you? What corps were you? Who did you mm-hmm. serve under? And then it's just a little back and forth and being like that. And the guy goes like, oh yeah, I was also in the Marines. And Travis goes, cool. And I'm like, that's it. I yeah, do like that, your theory, it. too, mm-hmm. how he just is, like, seen it in, like, television and stuff. Yeah. And tel- he's just using cause... it to feel more connected to yeah. the people around him who experience that. Yeah. Because he is of the right age and all that stuff. It wouldn't be unreasonable for him to have served in the military. But just from his lack of wanting to engage afterwards or even the guy wanting to engage to him back, it kind of implies to me that, like, hey, maybe this guy actually didn't go to the Marines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, another one of his routines is after work. He tends to go to see a porno flick at, like, I'm assuming, like, 7 a.m. <laughs> after his shift. Maybe, or, like... Because that's I what happens. Seven, he I he think steps out, like one a.m. flask. Yeah. But no, he drinks the flask, and it's, like, it's, like, uh, sunrise, you know what I mean? And what he goes that? to the porno. Oh. Yeah. He goes to the porno uh, place. Remember when you just go to porno films and casually watch porno with your guys and y'all would just not sit beside each other, but occasionally one person would sit beside each other and just be that weird tension. You mean uh, you mean just stop doing that? I, I'm still doing that. <laughs> I just find it hilarious. I just find it hilarious that you got popcorn and candy too. I'm just like, really? Okay. Oh. So that's the that's the gag. That's the true mm-hmm. gag. Is that this is like that's a thing, and it still happens, by the way, Jen. So like, mm. if someone sits by you, that's like the open invitation for cruising, and then you could just <laughs> either do something in the seats or like 
go somewhere else. Perhaps. Just had a hole at the bottom <laughs> of the popcorn bowl. So at the at the movie theater, Travis tries to hit on the concession worker, who's a woman, and he tries to ask for her name, and then he's not getting anywhere. And so eventually she just... I love her. She's taking... She's... Well, I kind of feel sad for her, because I feel like, obviously... Oh my god. Point yeah. of the podcast, reading too much into it. But she clearly has dealt with men like this, like, trying to get her name and, like, she ask is around. every barista at Starbucks who has ever had the unfortunate... Uh, call to had the unfortunate circumstance where you smile a little too much at someone and they read way too into it <laughs> yeah she just immediately calls the manager i forgot his, her, the whatever the manager's name let's just yeah. say it's bob but she doesn't even hesitate she's like bob she yells and travis is like okay okay i'll just get some popcorn and, and some candy and a drink once again his bad diet but also once again my university diet which is like cheap <laughs> effective you're full. Is it healthy? No, but it's very cheap. <laughs> like, God damn, I have calories in me and I can stay awake during class. <laughs> so we see Travis just, what would you call this? Brooding in his bed? In his apartment? What is it? And, brooding? Like... I guess not, but he's contemplating and thinking out loud, I guess. He's laying in his bed and he says he doesn't think one should devote their life to morbid self-attention if they could. Instead, they should devote themselves equally to all parts of, mm-hmm. you know, life. And then this is where, this is like the first scene. By the way, this is the first scene in broad daylight, which is interesting. Yeah. And it's also the scene to this day, every time I rewatch it, because of Bernard Herrmann's beautiful score, I get chills. Because he's like, I first seen her in the corner of whatever, at Palatine headquarters in New York City. And then this song plays... And it's so beautiful. I first saw her at Palantine Campaign Headquarters at 63rd and Broadway. She was wearing a white dress. She appeared like an angel out of this filthy mess. She is alone. They cannot touch her. And we see New York, we see New Yorkers, we see a variety of people on the streets looking at the camera, some people covering their face and walking in front of the camera. Yeah, you we know? see you extras. This is the first time where we see Betsy played by Sybil Shepherd as well. Um, in a beautiful white dress to represent purity, possibly virginity, oh. in Travis's mind. In Travis's mind, you know, yeah. obviously to a general, it's like whatever, it's a white dress, but in Travis's mind, because he even says, she is she is like something pure out of this filthy mass. And, you know, he says they cannot touch her. I don't know if the white dress is supposed to symbolize anything. Could be reading too much into it. But I personally think it represents, like, purity. It's also uh, very, um, if we're talking about fashion stuff, it's very reminiscent of old money, almost. Just, like... Mm. It's a very, it's a very simply cut dress. It doesn't really accentuate her features, nor does it take away from it. And it's pure white. It hides her collarbones. It's, it's a very good girl dress, and it does make her stand out from the rest of New York, especially, especially in the white kind of thing. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. Travis sees her, and then we see him hanging out. He's with, in love. Yeah. 
pretty much right away. And then we see and... him hanging out with his taxi buddies at a tiger. Yep. Uh, and... No, after yeah. the introduction of her, it goes into them being in the Palestine's office. They don't do that yet. Or do they? Okay, yeah, they okay. Do. They do. Okay. So it cuts to Betsy inside the Palestine headquarters, who is a presidential nominee running for the 1976 presidential election. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they never really tell us, but obviously just contact clues. Use and your brain. she's in a cute little three-breasted uh, button number. It's a really cute outfit. Oh, true. Very much so. And she motions to one of her workers there, a guy named Tom, to come over. Who is also in love with her, by the way. Oh, clearly, but she doesn't give him the time of day mm-hmm. because he's a nice guy. Um, for real, though, I think he's a nice guy, Chen. What do you think? <laughs> as I don't in, like, think the... it's like a nice guy. It's very much just like he respects her as a co-worker, but he's also just like, please, Betsy, know this me. Please, Betsy, let's go on a date. So like a more nerdy version of um, mm-hmm. that white guy everyone loves in the office with Jim. So, like, a more nerdier gym, pretty mm-hmm. much. In love with Pam? Okay. Betsy notices that there's someone in a taxi looking at her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know for how long, but she feels like it's been for a while. Tom asks Betsy if it's bothering her, and she obviously sarcastically says no. <laughs> and so he does go out to see what... Shoot Travis away. Yeah. yeah, and Travis, like, immediately, like, dips. He, like, st- puts his foot on the on the gas and just gets the fuck out of there. Yeah. And he meets up with his uh, his other taxi co-workers at a diner. Like, and... it's very implied that he has been stalking her. Oh, yeah, for sure. And well, very yeah, cause the, that was right, because the first, he said, the first time I seen her was in mm-hmm. front of the palace, where we seen that sh- scene. So Travis goes to the diner with a few of his other uh, taxi co-workers who mm-hmm. we'll occasionally see throughout the film. There's Wizard. Doughboy and Wizard by Peter Boyle, Harry Northup is Doughboy, yeah. and Norman Matluck is Charlie T. And Charlie T is the only black one of this like weird um, group, <laughs> and he is the one that Travis feels uncomfortable by because he is very much intrigued with wizard and doughboy's conversation yeah. about women. And again, he's obviously intrigued about women. He, I don't know if that's another. Um, you know, like another derogatory thing where Travis is like yeah. fascinated well, by the discussion they're of women. Tra- yeah, they're trading stories about their um, their like as their taxi drivers. The, and yeah, the taxi so drivers in New York, so they have like very interesting stories. So I, if I remember correctly, Wizard is going on about this beautiful woman he's picked up and stuff, and how she tried to sleep with him where they slept together he gave her $200 like it's almost like a made up story and mm-hmm. then they kind of comments like oh like Travis do you have any wild stories and stuff and like Travis goes to talk about no no yeah so um, Travis casually mentions just like one of their co-workers who got cut up on during his trip and stuff and then they go they kind of casually mention like oh yeah you go all around the city don't you mm-hmm. uh, Travis because Travis is drives in the rougher ends of the city and then it's a very interesting cut of where we have travis hyper focus on the black men near the back of the cafe and they're the obviously pimps. just the pimps yeah and so he just the th- stares them down this is where i think the racism part comes mm-hmm. in to this and again just like the 
the war veteran Vietnam thing is not really talked about. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, I think Travis is racist. Yeah, Travis or, is very the, obviously portrayed racist, racist against black men. Yeah, specifically. And what I think it is, is like, this is the thing, if you notice it, Jen, mm. like when he's at Palatine headquarters later on, when he thinks no one is watching him, he thinks, he notices people who are just like, just doing their thing, sitting down, looking around. They're not really looking at him, mm-hmm. but he thinks they're looking at him. And when people are actually looking at him, he doesn't notice them. Like when he's yeah. talking to Betsy, like when everyone's looking at him, he's just, he doesn't he doesn't notice it all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. So. Very interesting. And then he like hyper-focuses on the seltzer water, I think it is, when you put mm-hmm. like the stuff for your stomach or your acid reflux. And mm-hmm. then uh, Doughboy tries to sell him a gun <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, that one was weird. Yeah, and Charlie T like says, "Hey, Travis," and Travis is completely like just like, uh, like just no, just ignores him. And again, like he's like the only black guy that's a part of this like entourage. I don't know what you call it. I don't know what you call a group of four. I don't want to say quad. I don't know why. Yeah, quad. <laughs> I know, but I like couple. There's a trio. Mm. Then there's a quad. I don't. I don't like that. Anyway, a squad. Yeah, let's just say a squad. So Travis eventually goes to the campaign headquarters and pretends to volunteer when obviously he really just wants to ask Betsy out on a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he does so successfully. Like He comes off as a very suave uh, male and all that stuff, which is what starts with the contradictory of his nature where he comes off as a very suave get. Uh, put together the mail and then they go on their date and then the opposite well, is shown he puts on his lonely he puts on his loneliness onto betsy mm-hmm. though in that scene too he yeah calls her she call he calls her that lonely he ca- he kind of nags her work too like he basically <laughs> says this is nothing to him yeah and says you're lonely i know you're lonely mm-hmm. and by the way this is just a guy she doesn't even know who's coming yeah. up to her who's saying like you're lonely i can tell Let's go on a date. I hate you. You're disgusting. Give me $200. <laughs> Do you know that video I'm talking about? Yeah, it was Dr. Phil. <laughs> so they go on their date. And you're right. This is where he like starts like breaking down. Yeah, he breaks, care- he breaks the illusion of being this put-together, suave um, guy. Because he really does come off as a confident young man when he asks her on the date in her office after negging her, I'd like to point out. <laughs> once again um but then they go on the date and it's it's awkward he doesn't it? really it is it comes off as very awkward to me he says he has well maybe i'm on maybe this is from a male perspective maybe that's why mm-hmm. he he tells Bessie that she has beautiful eyes yeah that's just very sweet and stuff <laughs> but it's just like if you kind of read the energy just from betsy's kind of thing she's not super into him. No, but she's intrigued though. That's the mm-hmm. thing. She's definitely intrigued. Obviously yeah. she wouldn't go on this date. Well, then, and she yeah. mentions that he she reminds him of a like you said a Christopherson song. Yeah. Which mentions a contradiction in its lyrics and how Travis is a walking contradiction, just like the lyrics say. Yeah. Eventually we see this scene where it's kind of cute, I think. 
Travis goes to a record store and like buys. Yeah, because I thought that was very sweet. That was kind of cute. And then he phones Betsy on the payphone Mm -hmm. and asks her to a movie. Is she be willing? Yeah, but um, before uh, either before that or after that, um, we get into yeah the Palantine one. This is before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I think that scene is uh, very much reveals Travis's. This is this is when you just you as the viewer start cluing in that or watching it now that you can kind of see that Travis is written to be could be interpreted as autistic because before meeting Betsy and all that stuff, I he didn't really care about politics. He still doesn't care about politics. No. But now that he knows about Palatine, is his name? Yeah, Palatine. I won't keep calling him Papeltine, but I'm like, that's what Star Palatine. Wars. <laughs> Palatine. Damn it. Um but now that he who he knows he is He's engaging with him and stuff, and he doesn't know what his politics is whatsoever. And so Palatine um, goes like, "What's the number one thing that bo- bothers you about this country?" And Travis very much is just like, "This country, um, or the city especially, city. Is, is disgusting. He should trash. clean up this city here. It's trash. Here's open sewer. It's full of spil- filth and scum." So it, it very much captures Travis's point of view, where everyone around him is dirty. And that's mm-hmm. even more stated earlier when he, when, especially with Betsy, who is in his view and his glamorized view is clean. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's why I meant with the white dress. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. and like the, the the shot of the first time seeing her. Um, yeah. yeah Travis. Yeah. Well, just to go on back to the him talking to Palpatine, it's very interesting where he's just like he should clean up this whole mess, blah blah blah. But then he says like he and should flush it down the fucking toilet. He, Travis doesn't see the city as something that can be cleaned and rebuilt and repaired. He wants just all the mess to be thrown away, to be washed away, to just disappear, essentially. Yeah. He's, he, he wants to joker the city. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty much, honestly. Yeah, he doesn't want to repair the city and build it up to be something better no. by lifting people up. He simply just wants what he views as the scum of the earth to die, to disappear, to vanish entirely. Which is another theme that I love about this <laughs> film, which is nihilism. That's that's nihilism. Yeah, it's very nihilism, yeah. And that's what I loved when I was 15. Uh, like I said, it was just really, really edgy and really <laughs> contradictory. And, and then, after the politician, we are introduced to so Jodie Foster. Foster character. So, and... Jodie Foster plays Iris. Her name is Iris. Mm-hmm. She gets into this cab where it's just a, another scene after Palantine where he's dropping off a guy or a woman, I forget. And then immediately Iris gets into his cab. And tells him and to says, drive. Go, get out of here. I want to get out of here. And then immediately Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel? Keitel? Whatever. I want to say Keitel if it's wrong. I'm so sorry. Harvey Keitel or Tommy, as I'll say from now on. Tommy. Tommy grabs Iris by the arm and throws yeah. a 20 down and says, don't worry about this. Yeah. And, and you can wife. tell that Iris is visibly distressed about her situation. Like, oh, she's sure. not there willingly whatsoever. She's 12, as we later she's find 12. out. Yeah. You know? Um, and so... She's I, wearing an outfit that now that is just not what 12 year olds should be wearing. No, I don't think anyone should be wearing that. 
not a 12 year old. I should wear that. Yes, you should. You should. <laughs> you this cute little white booty shorts. <laughs> Tra- <laughs> Moving on, though. So Travis, Travis takes- yeah, continues on his night and, like, um, it was a very interesting scene um and they do mention it a couple times and this is uh kind of what we need for historical context during new york during this time a lot of taxi drivers didn't pick up black people all oh, right there's yeah. that scene where that guy's hailing him yeah no not hailing him is he's driving down the road and a group of young um, black teens, I, they look like teenagers, um, throw stuff at his taxi. And so oh, right, right. if you, without the historical context, you, it comes off as very racist. But it's also but it's um, very much within the historical context of New York at this time. A lot of cabs did not pick up black people. They didn't mm-hmm. pick up, especially during the evening and stuff, because just the segregation between white New Yorkers and black New Yorkers, this is where... Um, racism was hitting hitting the peak of time so it was very common um, not to say not to say like it's very common for black people to attack taxis I don't know that but it wasn't or uncommon Charlie T. yeah or Charlie T yeah it wasn't uncommon for taxis just not to pick up uh, at, uh, black Americans Latino Americans especially in the parts of the area where Travis was driving around yeah yeah well, and this is mentioned throughout the movie too, like just the violence taxi drivers experience, mm-hmm. still experience, I should say. Well, we'll get into that gun scene later. Mm-hmm. But Travis eventually uh, takes Bessie out, on, like For he said, on a date. movie date. Mm-hmm. By the way, he's wearing the exact same outfit as he did yeah, the first I noticed date. That. I think it's like like a weird, again on the spectrum or something, because I feel like it's him trying to portray normal like normal mm. people wear this but travis normal people don't wear that <laughs> the same outfit though travis but he doesn't know that you know but i also like to point out a lot of guys only have one good suit especially straight guys yeah. like a good. that is very true so it could also just be that as well i will say though again um robert de niro brushing his hair in this suit i'm just saying Hello, I'm just saying. Look, I get. Uh, look, I understand. He's a very handsome male. I get that. It's I'm just sorry, not my I'm type. So, I'm sorry. I'm just. This is just me being horny for Robert De Niro for an hour. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he, he he takes her to obviously what. So this is the thing. Travis says, Betsy automatically realizes they're at a porno theater. If we bring up the scene where Travis and Betsy's second date, yeah, their second date. If we want to call it a second one, sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right, yeah, second date. The first official date after the meet and greet, maybe? Sure. The meet cute. The meet it's cute. obvious, like like I said, Betsy obviously realizes it's the porno theater. Mm-hmm. She mentions Travis... it, too, and Travis is just like, I see tons of couples come here, and he's and not to long. his defense, yes, because this is an, another thing where we're like, Travis isn't normal. Obviously, he isn't normal, but, mm-hmm. you know, if you know what I mean, it's like he has, like, a weird understanding of, like I said, like, nor- societal norms and stuff. And so, to Travis's credit, there is couples, for some reason, mm-hmm. at this porn theater. There's at least three that I counted. <laughs> just 
chilling in the seats. So and like it's a it's a nicer movie theater too. It's not the dingy one that he went goes to where it's just like twelve seats in a basement bargain movie theater. Like this is a legitimate nice theater. And another thing That's too is that shooting a porno movie. These movies, these porn movies, they're still they're still movies. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. To Travis, these are the only types of movies that he's aware of. He doesn't go to the theater. He only watches TV and goes to porn theaters. Yeah. You know? This is the only type of movies he knows of. He doesn't strike me as a person who has, like, a favorite movie. You know? <laughs> Betsy storms out. And then it's quite interesting that you see sex workers outside this movie theater. But now that I think of it, it's a movie theater showing a porno movie. So it's not that outlandish. No. <laughs> Travis phones Betsy. I don't know if it's the same night or tomorrow, but he's like, I'm sorry I made you uncomfortable. Did you get the flowers I sent you? It has to be either the next day or a couple days after. Yeah, and I think it's intentional that we don't hear Betsy's response, so it's very Mm -hmm. metaphorically and figuratively and obviously a one-sided conversation Mm -hmm. where we only hear Travis's part of the conversation and in the next shot we see a bunch of flowers in his apartment and it kind of breaks my heart because i think i think betsy returned the flowers to him yeah you know i just like listen this is where like all jokes aside like i really would date travis because i was joking with jennifer by the way dear listeners (laughs) i told jennifer the one perga dating Travis, though, you know he'll never cheat on you. That's you know true. He'll, you know he'll treat you like a like a princess and shit. Like he will love you to the bitter end. Like he won't look at anyone else like that. Like he's he's just genuinely he's a misguided. He might punch a hole in the wall at one point, but <laughs> like Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Yeah. Every day I wake up and I wish you were dead. <laughs> that movie, God. Okay. <laughs> Two hours of watching my parents get divorced. The movie. <laughs> oh, did you see that letterbox that was like directors who are going through a divorce and so yeah. they use Scarlett Johansson as fodder in their movies, and it's like lost <laughs> in translation. Her and Marriage Story. Yeah. Uh, I can smell the director is going through a divorce when he filmed this one, wasn't he? Somebody's <laughs> separated from his wife. Moving oh. on. Travis seems to just see the others through the rear view mirror. This is a thing I wanted to mention, even with mm-hmm. Valentine. And what he views as quote unquote the others is people he doesn't necessarily want to associate with because Iris, and again, obviously it's because Iris, no, 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 Iris doesn't get in the front seat. No, she right? gets in the back. Yeah, so Iris, we don't see through the rear view mirror, you know? Um, Palantine we don't see because at the time he's like obviously either to impress Betsy mm-hmm. or because he generally likes Palantine he views Palantine as like a good person but everyone else he looks through that rear view mirror every time everyone else yeah. through that rear view initially obviously the scene plays out with by the way this is Martin Scorsese playing this neurotic boyfriend abusive boyfriend in the back seat uh husband not boyfriend husband oh, sorry husband husband but so obviously late, later on we don't see it through the rear view mm-hmm. but initially not well sorry i'm getting my words mixed up obviously there are shots where we see martin scorsese's character normally but mm-hmm. every time from travis's point of view every time it's he looks through the rear view 
But, yeah. it, it, but he yeah. looks at Palantine over his shoulder a couple yeah. times to like face to face him. Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean with with the quote unquote others, like everyone that he views as degenerates. He looks, he views through the rear view. It's a very interesting shot composition because it almost is reflective. Just like as much as Travis hates the degenerates and low lives of the city, uh, to have it focus the rear view mirror on himself rather than his passengers is very much just like, even though Travis hates those kind of people, they are reflective of him. Thank you. Because Martin mm-hmm. Scorsese reflects the violence against women that Travis later on, later on feels or does currently feel. Because, and the, sorry, yeah. go ahead, sorry. No, oh, no, because no, like, after his disastrous second date with Betsy, like he's very much grabbing onto her and holding her and telling her like, "Hey, like we need to talk until she yeah, does." Like, I'm not stop done talking to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I just wanted to mention that because it will play significantly on our last shot of the film. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, he picks up this Martin Scorsese's character. I don't think he even is listed as. Maybe he is. I, I'm too lazy to look, but it's it's Martin Scorsese people <laughs> it's Martin Scorsese. in a jean jacket and jeans. He takes Trav. He tells Travis to go to this location. And he says, "Just sit here. Just sit here." And so he does. And he mentions to look at a window on the third floor of this building. And he says, "You see that woman in the window? That's my wife." And do you know who she's fucking? And I'm not gonna say it but you can use your imagination to your viewers. White directors will use any excuse to say the N-word in their films. I kind of blocked this, honestly. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, surely Martin Scorsese won't say the N-word. Oh, he said the N-word. And then he did. I think he said the hard R, too, Jen. He did say the hard R. Just like Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Tarantino, yeah. So... Obviously, there's this, like, very... Again, this is where the themes of violence and masculinity come into play. Because this is a case... This is a obviously a case of the extreme end of masculinity where he's very violent and on edge and angry at his wife and how mm-hmm. he could... How she could cheat on him. Not but only she's cheat the, on him, cheat but on, cheat on him with a black, with a black man. man. And mm-hmm. also, not only that, it's like... So, obviously, he's focus on that on the black man he's not even focused on um maybe he did something wrong in the relationship like yeah. what if what if obviously i have a feeling like he, he i have a feeling he might be abusive i'm just gonna throw it out there i have a feeling he probably hits her honestly or even if he doesn't hit her like the fact that he he's has just angry violence violent. he's so angry that he wants to commit such a grievance violence against his wife mm-hmm and he mentions he wants to shoot her in the fucking face, destroy and, her face mm-hmm. with a forty-four pistol. Magnum, yeah. Magnum pistol. He wants to destroy his wife's face. And then he goes out of his way for sexual violence of what it can do to her vagina. <sighs> yeah, like I said, this whole yeah. thing I block because I was like, I love Martin Scorsese, you know? I'm like... I still do, but obviously, like, I'm not defending it, but it's it's very much like a... Uh, it, was, it was a disappointing, um, you know. But it's an also interesting characterization. As this man is having this rant, he kind of begs towards Travis as he says all these horrible, violent things. He's just like, you must think I'm pretty sick, huh? You must think I'm pretty mm-hmm. sick. You think I'm sick? Like He wants Travis to validate him and his, in his horror. 
to say that yeah to either say no like i like it's one of two things the guy is searching for either to for travis to validate him and his violence against women and his hatred towards his wife or to tell him that yeah dude like that's pretty messed up Fucked up. yeah so that's- it, it, it's this very much hinging moment of just like hey whatever you say is what's going to determine what happens to me and my wife tonight. And Travis gives him nothing. <laughs> I like. I really, I really wouldn't know what to say. And that's also where ugh, I don't want to give Martin Scorsese a pass at mm-hmm. all. It's like when rape scenes are in films. You know, ninety nine percent of the times they are not beneficial, detrimental yeah. at all to the storyline. But this conversation... Did he have to say the N-word, though? No. (laughs) Not at all. But to showcase masculinity and, like, defamation towards women and... You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this was necessary. Like, the scene was necessary. There were some instances where I don't think he had to say what he said. But I think this extreme showcasing of of masculinity and everything and violence towards Mm. women was very much necessary to the the overall themes of the film. And especially to Travis's character that when presented with um, such violence instead of agreeing with it or denying it he very much just stonewalls it. He very much great rocks it. He doesn't react. He doesn't say anything. It's very much a tipping point between him um, accepting the violence and denying it and he does neither. So after this encounter he goes back to the Balmore cafeteria with the, the squad you know this is also where uh, Daniel T calls him, see you later, killer, and does like the little, Charlie T, sorry. Mm-hmm. Charlie T does a, see you later, killer, and does a little like gun motions with his hand and goes, Poof. and Travis takes that like so personally. And he mm-hmm. like. Well, it's also, the scene is interesting too, because the wizard talks about how he picked up two gay men, for he doesn't prescribe them as gay men, um, <laughs> and how one of them started beating on sorry. the other one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, it's oh, also. Oh my god! Uh-huh. Sorry. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Sorry. But it, it's interesting that we cut to the scene and that uh, the wizard is talking about how he picked up uh, two gay men who were in a relationship, and one of them started committing violence against the other one. Because now we're getting into the themes of ongoing violence throughout mm. throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get into like. Yeah. The supermarket scene eventually and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But also in this cafe scene, he goes through his money and he picks up the $20 bills. The $20 he, bill he got from the pimp when Iris got into the back of his cab. That's and he true. Kinda, and he kind of focuses on it. Well, because it's like dirty money and he remembers yeah. Iris as well, I think. So, you know, Wiz just mentions how this job can eat away like any job at a man's life mm-hmm. and tells him. We're all fucked again. Another nihilist theme of the film, and to just oh, get drunk like, and get laid. Yeah, especially since they're in New York in the seventies, and they're cab drivers. They're they're literally seeing the worst of New York. Yeah, true, truly. And oh. we get into a, we get into a peek into Travis's diet, which, like I said earlier, consists of coffee, sugar, smokes, mm. and Coca Cola. He loves Coca Cola. Mm. <laughs> Remind me, it's still a little o'clock and ten o'clock thirty at night. 10, I'm trying, Chad. We're getting through it's this. Okay, it's getting okay. through just... this. Travis comes across Iris one night picking up tricks, 
where is that in my list? Oh, sorry. Oh, no. no. Travis... You, gotta, you gotta talk about how Wizard and Travis almost have a moment. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Wiz talks to him about, like, the the nihilistic themes of life and okay, yeah. work and shit. That's pretty much all they said, Jen. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Like, Work eats, work eats away at your life and might as well to get laid and have fun. And Wizard almost have a moment of emotional uh, not... Uh, Connection? Emo- emotional. They almost have a moment of emotional intelligence but uh, masculine thought gets in the way. Toxic masculinity gets in the way of it. And then we have like these scenes of just Travis driving his car. He sees Iris picking up tricks on the streets as well. Travis complains about being lonely and constantly seeing couples on the street mm-hmm. and how he is God's lonely man. And the days fade by indistinguishable from the next. And this is another part of the movie where, again, it's, I very much, um, I don't know about you but I very much like resonated with that where being 26 and working at a job, I do like my job, but you know, some days it really does just like blend day by day. You know what I mean? Loneliness has followed me my whole life everywhere. Bars and cars, sidewalks, stores, everywhere. There's no escape. And God's the only man. June 8th, my life has taken another turn again. The days move along with regularity, over and over. One day indistinguishable from the next. A long, continuous chain. Then suddenly, there is a change. You know, just like I said, working your job, indistinguishable day by day. I understand Travis's like feeling of being lonely. And seeing couples everywhere and hating your job. And... Well, especially too that when you are lonely, it's just, it, it's very much just like if you start thinking about yellow cars, you're going to start seeing yellow cars. Yeah. Travis eventually gets in touch with the arms dealer and he specifically asks for a 44 Magnum, just like Martin Scorsese's character. Mm-hmm mentioned he wanted to blow up his wife's face with. It's a big gun, too. And he looks at all these other guns, too, and he eventually picks, like, four guns. I think he buys them all. He can't buy them. I think he got the four guns up top. Yeah. He does say how much for all of them. Yeah. But when he says that, the arms dealer just mentions the four that are, you know, on top of the briefcase. That's what I... I like to point out during this entire scene, there is bad gun safety. You don't put your finger on the trigger unless you mean to shoot. (laughs) And then, like, Travis's character, like, literally points his gun out into the... Out out the window. Yeah. Well, that's another part of the whole... Oh, God. Degenerate thing. We probably use them as degenerates or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And they're, like, little old ladies. (laughs) They could still be degenerates, Jen. You don't know that. That's true. So he buys the four guns and he starts working out more, but he still keeps up his bad diet and preaches about having a healthy lifestyle. During this, he eventually gets the idea that he has to kill Palantine and he starts making like contraptions with like a jig to make his gun pop out quicker and his arms. 
like, and puts, I, like starts strapping knives mm-hmm. to his boots and stuff. What did you That's think? Because I know you never like, seen this film. So this is probably the part of the film that like it starts shifting gears. Obviously. Well, what yeah, did you this think? is the this is the part of the film because like he has that emotional moment with Wizard, and then all of a sudden his brain goes, "Well, time to kill a political leader." And I'm just like, "Where, where in the plot did that come from?" <laughs> and it's, it's so interesting that it's, it's so interesting that he this is this is where it starts really picking up and he does become a contradiction of himself because this is where he starts working now this is where he's like my body is a tool blah 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 and like mm-hmm. too much abuse has gone on too long from now on like he, he's me on a fitness uh on a fitness kick me when i eat one healthy lunch yeah me when i exercise once for 30 minutes one time a week I'm the machine. Every muscle must be tight. <laughs> yeah. This is also a good like um visual indicators of Travis's obviously deteriorate, deteriorating deteriorating mental state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes to Palatine's speech at the New York headquarters and he makes small talk. <laughs> Why did I say With it like the that? Secret service, like Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> He's like, oh, do you carry guns in the Secret Service? Are you Secret Service? What do you guys do? And just mm-hmm. weird, just a weird conversation. Just, just, and so, no, and he's wearing a trench coat during this entire scene. I'd like to point out. Uh, well, not a trench coat, an army. Coat, it's his army. It's his, it's yeah. his army coat. You know, yeah, that he probably wore in Vietnam. Which yeah, that, well, again. Yeah, that's where I'm also like, maybe this is from Vietnam, Jen. But it, but it's also just like. It's a coat that you can buy at a thrift store. It's nothing very military like. It's just an army True. jacket. True. He could yeah. have bought it as to Cuz like if you, if you look at the costume, it's not decorated with any medals. It doesn't have any of like the star the stars and not stars and stripes, the the, um, the embroidery on the shoulders that captains and all of them get on the um I don't know stripes. what it's called. Yeah. On the I know shoulders. what you're talking about. I know what yeah, you're talking they're like, about though, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have anything noticeably that, hey, I was in the military and I was like a cadet or a private or something. It's very interesting. Uh, but yeah, being a good Secret Service person, the guy takes his uh, name and name information down. But Travis is, in a moment of clarity, I'm thinking, does give him the wrong, incorrect information. I thought that he was throwing the gun stealer under the bus, but I don't think that is correct. No, because we never see the gun stealer ever again. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm assuming nothing bad happened to and him. It, it, I'm pretty sure the name doesn't match up either. Because when I no. thought saw that, I thought it was like, oh, he's being kind. He's like kind of cleaning up the streets, and he's throwing the gun stealer under the bus there. But I don't think that is true. So he goes back home, and obviously he goes there because I think he wanted to kill him, but I think he was scouting out. He was scouting because the... I don't think Palpatine was there. Palpatine, Pal- Palpatine. <laughs> Palpatine. I'm going with Palpatine. Go ahead. I'm not even going to correct you. I just yeah, no one correct me on this. It's okay. By the way, in our uh, gra- graduate episode, I mm. kept calling Benjamin Benjamin. <laughs> I'm like, so Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. I kept saying Benjamin. <laughs> I don't care. Benjamin. <laughs> Travis eventually goes home, and this is where we get the probably the most iconic. It's a very iconic scene, yeah. He's, like, practicing shooting his gun, and he does the intimidation thing with himself in the mirror, and he does the whole, you talking talking to me? me? You talking Mm -hmm. to me? 
And even like Jen, you said even you knew this, right? I knew this. Yeah, this is yeah. a very notable clip. Yeah. So like, even Jen had never seen this movie, never heard of this movie, never smelled of this movie. <laughs> she she knew <laughs> and Robert De Niro in this scene. Like I don't like. I think it's so iconic because it's Robert De Niro. Like he has a very dynamic face. Oh yeah. Not in the way of like, um, not in the way of like Jim Carrey dynamic, where you can almost see him change a character, but in a way of like the classic mobster intimidator, New York kind of intimidating. Like it's it's very much a scene that only Robert De Niro could have done. For sure. Yeah. One hundred percent. After this, he oh, goes to a store. Oh. So I I just like to point out. And another reason why I'm skeptical of him being in the movie. So in the military and stuff, you have to make your bed a certain way. It's drilled into you from day one. It helps you get into routine of doing things. His bed is never um, no, done in a way of a... No, it's not, though. It is when he laid down when he first talked about Betsy. Well, I guess so, but like it, it's, just, it's just like little tiny things where I'm just like... Because those beds are tight. <laughs> Those beds are tight. Those are my favorite, though. They're so <laughs> firm. I can't. I'm an you. I'm an old lady. I love flat pillows and I love firm mattresses. <laughs> They're so comfy. Are you guys kidding me? It's like sleeping on the ground. And I like comfy. it when the sheets are just tucked in there, and you have to squeeze in like a thin, like a skinny pair of jeans. <laughs> I do. I do. I don't. I don't want to move in my bed. I want to be vacuumed in. <laughs> I do, Jen. I know you do. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> this is where we're going to have to talk about it, though. The racism because and the violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis goes to the supermarket and he witnesses um, a robbery. It's, thank you. I couldn't think of the yeah. word for a second. And he pulls out his gun and it's just... and it's. He shoots the guy's uh, hands off. Yeah. Oh no! Wrong. wrong whoa, whoa. No, that's not later. That's later on. I know, he, I know. Shoots, Thank you. he shoots the guy dead, uh, and it's very. It's it's. Well, first of all, the convenience store owner is just like it's the fifth one this month, and I'm over here just like this is the fifth time you've been robbed. There's fifth body in your. <laughs> Both. Like, I have questions, man. Yeah, Travis says he doesn't have a permit, and then the Ooh. owner's like, "That's fine. Get out of here. I'll deal with it." I appreciate it. Vamos. And yeah. then the, the clerk starts beating this. And he's, by the way, this perpetrator was black. He's making and, sure he's dead. Yeah, like, and then the clerk is white, by the way. He starts. He's not white. He starts beat. speaking Spanish. It's implied that he's Latino. Oh, he's Latino? He looked. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, there is well, white looking Latinos. I know that. I'm not dumb. I thought he was Italian. <laughs> Robert De Niro's Italian. Oh, well then. Well, regardless, the clerk starts beating him with a pipe. And it's, yeah. Yeah. What? Nothing. It's just like him beating this unconscious body or something. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I'm so confused as to what you mean. Like, this is the fifth one this month. Like, how many people have died in your convenience store? That's not very convenient, man. And again, this is like another showcase of the themes of violence in this film and like the culmination of like just like crime written New York City in the 1976. And then we cut to Robert De Niro once again practicing bad gun safety in his apartment because he has his fucking finger on the trigger. (laughs) 
I'm sorry. Ever since I learned about gun safety, every time an actor has their finger on the trigger, I'm just like, that's bad gun safety, man. And he's watching a show on TV at the culture. moment. Yeah, with couples dancing, and he gets mad and, like, kicks the TV, and it, like, breaks. Which is this, like, one source of entertainment, so it's very interesting that he's now destroying stuff that brings him joy. By the way, I know I can look this up, and I know this is, like, one of my favorite movies, and I know I should know this. I I just don't have Wi-Fi. I don't have the time. i got to edit this, you guys. So (laughs) what I mean by that is Travis writes a manifesto on an anniversary card, who was this card for, Jen? Do you to remember? He was Karen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's just like, what the fuck? Imagine being Travis's parents and getting his, the cliff notes of his manifesto in your anniversary card. God, well, thank you for telling me, because I was, I, I was like, who was he writing this to again? I was just too busy writing what was happening on screen. I didn't see what he said about who, who he's yeah. sending it to. But so he writes his manifesto about, like, obviously he wants to kill Palantine. He writes the manifesto on an anniversary card about his vague plans to go out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. And he hopes no one else will die, just him and Palantine. Oh, th- sorry, this is where he breaks the TV out of frustration of being alone. Mm-hmm. And he sets his time and attention towards helping Iris. In the meantime, he runs into Iris again. And Iris mentions that he has to talk to <clears throat> this guy named Matthew. And Matthew mentions $15 for 15 minutes, $25 oh, for 30 minutes. Oh, and he talks about her Whatever you want with Iris. There. Oh, I don't God. Get well, and then he mentions that she's 12. And I'm just like, you have to mention that she was 12. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the sentence where he describes Jodie Foster's age and her... Um, <laughs> I don't even want to say it, but you know I don't what I'm want to say about. it. I don't want to say it either, but the mentions are downstairs area. Yeah. No, no square. Like even John Waters, say, even John Waters would go this yeah. far with his vulgarity. Goddamn cop. Well, not like a cop <laughs> cop, but he has like cowboy boots, a black shirt, and he's aviators. Boots, like, aviators. He, he looks like a narc. <laughs> yeah, Matthew talks about Iris in a demeaning way and. Keeps calling Travis a cop. Side note, let's talk about something positive. Not really positive, but I just don't want to talk about that. So instead, we're going to talk about Iris's outfit. She is wearing red chunky platforms, a sun hat, red sunglasses, and a tied-up button shirt with a studded white belt. Beautiful outfit. I know it's she a said cute outfit. I, mean, she I know hated she said that, it was, she hated it, but cute. it was a cute outfit. I, yeah. I I liked it. I was like, ooh, iconic fashion moment. And again, if I she just, wasn't twelve, it'd be cuter. But it's a cute outfit. I'd rather like, talk I, about I, the I outfit will... than the other thing. Besides, like <laughs> the all. first scene we meet her, most of her outfits aren't super inappropriate for a 12-year-old. Like, her first outfit's pretty inappropriate. I, If a 12-year-old walked by me wearing that outfit, I'd be very uncomfortable. Ooh, Mr. Scorsese. Mr. Scorsese. Why did you make her not wear underwear? Yeah. That's all we want to know. I feel I so bad. Jodie Foster's like, my, <laughs> I love Jodie Foster, and already this movie has digs towards it, but then she have to add, oh yeah, I wasn't wearing any underwear. Yeah. That just kind of added more to the question. <laughs> so, so they go no, to an apartment. They go to a hotel or apartment to, or something. They go to an apartment building and he pays the guy outside. The $10 building. for 10 minutes. I'm he, timing you too. He's, yeah, he's a security guard. Um, 
Iris lights a cigarette and tells him once the cigarette burns out, your time is up. Mm-hmm. And she... <laughs> so Iris obviously thinks that Travis is just here to do what unfortunately it seems that a lot of people have done with her. Starts unbuttoning his belt. Tries yeah. to. And Travis is like, well, what are you doing? Like, you know. And what's your name? And she calls herself Easy because it's easy to remember. <laughs> Poor Travis. I'm just like, she's 12 years old. Travis mentions that the first time he's seen her, how she wanted to leave. But she mentions it's because she was stoned and sport. Not Matthew, but sport. We'll just mm. call him sport. Sport. Sport and the the guys just keep her there because they're trying to keep her safe from herself. Keep her from herself. Yeah. And it's just it's just really sad because like the whole scene is sad and tragic, and I hate that she's twelve in this scene. I sincerely hate how old she is in this scene. And it's uncomfortable because obviously it is for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. But I'm just like, it's just sad that this shit still happens. I bet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Like, she's definitely not the first. Like, the unfortunate thing is, it's just like, as uncomfortable I am as this, there's unfortunately actual 12 year olds who are in her position in real life. And it's um, heartbreaking. By the way, I know how uncomfortable you were with this, so don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to make you watch Leon the Professional, which is pretty much the vibes of that. Scene. Oh my God. <laughs> I like two hour clips from that. And it's just. It's, it's Natalie Portman, 12 year old Natalie Portman. Not even 12. I think like who's nine. the director of that, too? Because I'm pretty some sure. Guy, some French guy. Yeah, Seriously, I'm pretty sure French the guy. French guy also has committed acts of pedophilia or something. There's, there's really. Like, I'm not surprised. It's very, I'm not yeah, surprised. no. Like, it's very telling when a director portrays. On uncool relationships, looking at you, Woody Allen, um, <laughs> on screen, and people are just like, "You have to separate the art from the artist." I'm just like, "Yeah, but uh, you can tell a lot about the artist from what they create." Yeah, and that it still doesn't hold up. The only, I guess, I can call myself out on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking up the Luke, Luke Benson. He also did Big Blue, Lucy, let's see. 50 films, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, rape allegations, Jen. Yeah. Oh, my God. They rape um, allegations against the minor? I bet you they were. Um, yeah, he mentioned <laughs> she should just do more. Travis says just do no more ghost stuff, yada, yada. Yeah. So, Iris mentions then... that, like, what, what would you like to do? And Iris mentions there's, like, this commune out, out of yeah. the city she would like to visit. And so Iris gives gives her the money that she, so she can go to the commune that she mentions and he mentions that you know he has nothing better to spend his money on yeah he really and he, doesn't and she wonders why he mentions that he'll be gone for a while <laughs> sorry <laughs> no i'm just thinking about okay we'll just sport. quick sentence sport just tries to talk her out of not leaving and it's, it's a, a very, very uncomfortable five minutes of my life i don't like that being. he's touching her like he's an adult like why do you it's have just, to caress her hair? Why do you have to do that? Why do you have to do it, that it's done? very much, it's just, it's very much, it's just in this scene, Jodie Foster is 12 years old. And I don't like that an adult man is massaging her arms, is dancing with her, is caressing oh. her hair, is giving mm. her a kiss. I don't care what it is. I, I hated every single second of this movie. Oh, Salo. We're never watching that, by the way. Don't worry. That's also not on the list either because there is... Anyway. I hate his Tommy was so looking ass. Oh, his long hair. 
he mentions how good he is to have her. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. No, Tra- no. Just... Travis's Travis polishes his shoes, burns the flowers that I'm assuming Betsy that was he got for Betsy. Burns the flowers, he whetstones his blade, he gets equipped and armed to the nines. And eventually, as we see, he even gives himself a cute little mohawk. Yeah. (laughs) And so he goes to the Palestine uh, uh, speech, I guess, because he got the nomination or whatever. Yeah. But before that, sorry, he writes a letter to Iris and gives her enough money and mentions by the time she reads this letter, he will be dead. Which is really sad, in my opinion. Well, it's very much he knew he was going to die if he wouldn't shot Palestine there. Not Palestine. Palpatine. Oh, God. Not Palestine. I just keep, just keep butchering this poor guy's name. Panini. I'm just calling him pa- Panini. and goes and kills Palister over here. Pandemic, yeah. <laughs> Pantaloon. Things go, things go awry, and obviously Travis can't get close enough to kill Palestine because this, the Secret Service guys, like, notice him. Obviously, they to their job. Him. Which is their job, you know? They're like, get that guy, like, arrest that guy. And so Travis. They did question. to him what they could not to do to John F. Kennedy. He had it coming. <laughs> or no, what's what's the meme? It, it, like with Jackie Kennedy's fat ass waking him up from the dead. I don't know. There's a whole meme of that. <laughs> no, that's that's Junior because he died in that plane crash, but he's coming back as Trump's vice president somehow, even though he's a Democrat. I don't know either. Okay. Where are we? There's too many tangents. We can't. (laughs) You're sleepy. I need to finish. I'm losing my mind. (laughs) So obviously, Travis still wants to kill, which is kind of crazy. But again, this is the culmination of his deteriorating mental health, the violence and frustration he has pented up throughout the film. This is the culmination of it. He is angry. He wants to let out his frustration on the world, and so he wants to kill people. So because he can't kill Palantine, he goes to where Sport is. And he kills Sport and the pimps there. He tells Sport to suck on this and shoots him in the gut. <clears throat> he goes to the doesn't apartment double building. tap. Nope, doesn't. Rule number one, one, kids: double tap. Just shoots him once. Goes to the apartment building. Shoots a random pimp guy. I think. He, I don't know if he's the pimp or if he's just the uh, hotel keeper kind of thing. But he shoots his fingers off. He shoots the fingers. No, 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 no. This is the thing. He shoots. Someone upstairs starts... Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're right. He, he goes, shoots the he fingers goes in, off. Yeah. But then the person, the John that was in the room with... The Iris, head John or something, yeah. yeah. He comes out, shoots Travis in the neck, but Travis kills him. Meanwhile, mm. a fingerless guy is still screaming, and then out of nowhere, a sport comes back and shoots him. It's a lot of shootouts, so I'm trying it's, to like, yeah. keep up. And Sport shoots him, and then Travis, like, whips out another gun and shoots Sport dead. So now Sport's dead, main John is dead, and now there's just the the handless guy freaking out. So Travis goes upstairs. And they and they struggle for, and they struggle. Like, it's a good, it's a well-shot-out well, fight scene, such murder scene. Like, they're, they're struggling, they're stabbing, they're shooting. Like, it's brutal, it's bloody, and, like, yeah, poor Iris no- is witnessing this, and she's having a meltdown i don't blame her a poor girl no hands wrestles with travis and he -hmm. grabs the trip gun he has and eventually kills him even though iris screams don't shoot him and after travis kills everyone in there besides iris of course he wouldn't yeah he tries to shoot himself but yeah he's run out of the bullets the handless guy's gun is out of bullets the john's gun is out of but like he he doesn't get the satisfaction of uh like he said going out in the blaze of glory yeah going out in the blaze of glory 
it's kind of yeah it's very interesting that um because this is before school shootings became a very common occurrence kind of thing and it's very interesting how yeah 99 was where columbine yeah columbine is where yeah yeah because it it's still this yeah a blaze of girl like as you said it's a blaze of glory but he doesn't get to have his he doesn't get to put a cap on his story, essentially. He doesn't get to kill himself after killing these people and being just like, oh, like, I removed the scum of the earth and I have to remove myself kind of thing. And yeah, he, then, like, the cops show up, and I thought he on. was going to try to commit suicide by cop. Yeah, like, for better or for worse, he doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And with blood dripping from his wounds, to me, this is another iconic shot. Just like Charlie T did with his, like, hands with the gun mm-hmm. motion and said, see you later, killer. Which obviously became a killer later. Yeah. He with his blood blood soaked hands, he like puts like two fingers to his head and pretends to shoot himself in the head. Mm-hmm. And we get this amazing overhead shot. One of the few overhead shots we get in this is I think our only second one, our first one's at the porno theater. The yeah. second one, I believe, is a seltzer moment. And this is our third one. And it's a really nice overhead shot of the whole shootout. I say nice, but I'm like I watch a lot of horror it's movies. A, yeah, it's so a I'm great scene to show the layout of the violence. Oh, very violent! Like everywhere's mm-hmm. like bloody. Poor Iris is in the corner. All these police are, oh, like around everyone on the streets, like wondering what happened. There's all these cars out on the streets. Uh, just total carnage. And in a voiceover afterwards, we hear that Iris's parents, the by the way, such a weird last name, the Steensmas. Mm-hmm. Steensma, S T E E N S M A, the Steensma. Anyway, um, Mr. Steensma um, was able to get a hold of her and mentioned yeah. that Iris is having a hard time adjusting, but otherwise doing well. They yeah, praise like, Travis for what. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I keep cutting. Oh, you. no. Cool. Like, I was going to say, they, they do a shoot over, uh, like, they uh, not pinch. The voiceover and it's also like a panning shot of all the newspaper clippings oh, of Travis's how room, yeah, taxi yeah. driver battles gangsters like yeah. uh, parents shock and gratitude hero. Uh, yeah. the, it's very much praising Travis for the violence he committed against at this time as degenerates and lowlifes and saving this twelve-year-old girl, which is a very interesting. It, yeah, it's what did you think of to, that? It's surprising to see a film who focuses on the on the main character going slowly mad and then yet praising him for violence well obviously this is exactly what joker did in its ending in Mm -hmm. my opinion like it praised joker for inciting the riots and he's like a martyr and all this stuff you know it yeah it's in a lot of films today, you would see a main character go dive slowly into madness, and usually their madness ends with um, the phrase of like "revenge is a as a sword without a hilt." Like it, yeah, you get your revenge, but eventually it comes back and kills you as well, and it's usually seen as a bad thing. But in these cases, like Fight Club, Joker, and Taxi Driver, it's just like the male characters, the male leads. Um, choose violence and it, they are rewarded for their violent action or their violent actions lead to a changing point which is not necessarily a bad thing to portray because as we've seen with like revolutions and all that stuff it's just like sometimes for things to change violence does have to occur off with their heads yeah yeah well even like the steensmas they praise travis for what he's done and thank him mm-hmm. again 
and the Forever Grateful. And, you know, if he's ever out in uh, it wasn't Jersey, was it? Philadelphia. I think it was like Philadelphia. I think Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah, either way, they're like, if you're around in Pittsburgh, you always have a place to stay with us, yeah. which I think was cute. I'm glad we got, like, at least, like, because, you know, Martin didn't have to do that with mm. the voice. Actually, yeah, he really didn't at all. He, it could have just been the newspaper clippings, but I'm glad I'm glad we got, like, a, a conclusion to the whole, knowing Iris is safe and Iris is back with her parents and yeah. out of that situation, you know, I'm glad we know that Probably much at least for her at the very least this is how it ends it ends with betsy and travis's taxi and praising travis for helping iris out mm-hmm. now during all of this like i mentioned before for once travis doesn't look at betsy like he used to travis yeah. looks at betsy in the rear room mirror like all the others which i thought was very interesting and obviously it shows like his um remember when he wasn't returning her calls and stuff. He he literally mentions she's just like all the others, you know what I mean? Yeah. Back in the film, earlier in the film. And so obviously this is just more reaffirmation that he's is, you know, he doesn't see eye to eye anymore with Petsy, unfortunately. He doesn't or idolize her either. Like, Thank you, it, that's the word, yeah. He doesn't he, idolize her anymore. He is now, she's in his mind is with the degenerates, the low life, the scum, and all that stuff. So eventually, she gets out and asks how much it is, and he just seems, and he just like smiles and says, "It's you know, it's whatever, it's free." And he drives away. But during all of this, and I think you agreed with me, it seems like Betsy's like wanting Travis to finally come up and listen to that. Yeah, um, she invites him up and stuff. Yeah. No, she doesn't invite him up. She just says how much is it. Up. Nope. She just says how much is how much do I owe you. But, like, the way she's standing there and, like, the close physical contact, you know, mm-hmm. all those other kind of clues, and how she is very much, like, weirdly, like, longingly looking at him. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? She's kind of, like, looking at him, like how Travis looked at her back in the day. I feel like it was a very much, like, an unofficial open invitation to, you can come back into my life if you want to. Yeah. But, thank God, Travis says no, it just dips. Because I hate Betsy. That was kind of kind of fuck, fucked of her, in my opinion. What I find interesting is the costume choice of her outfit. Because she's wearing a white suit, but she has a black shirt underneath it. Mm-hmm. It's all so white. It's, almost, it's very much, it's just like, and of course this is me reading into it, mind you. But it's very much like the outer self, the, the suit and all that stuff portrays pureness and cleanliness. But beneath that suit is the the dirt, the dirtiness, the darkness, mm-hmm. the yeah, which is literally New York City, which is very and bright. It, and it's also her, bright. him seeing her for what in his is. mind what she truly is, because it's not just like a black shirt; it's a black shirt with white stripes through it. Mm-hmm. To kind, it kind of to me once again reading into it, it's just like to him he sees her as scum now, but it's very much like no, she is a kind woman and pure and like a decent woman it's just she's just like the rest of new york she is there is a fine layer of scum there is a fine layer of dirt and i'm just like oh now you want to fuck charles because he saved yeah. the fucking 12 year old girl sex work? <laughs> like whatever fuck you is that what men have to do kill three <laughs> pimps and save a 12 year old what well, i those memes of like you know because like a lot of men now straight men they're like like younger ones are doing like TikToks and stuff, and so oh, there's a lot of like misandrous memes that kill me that are like, remember when men used to just die in the coal mine? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so I'm just like, remember when men would just save twelve year old girls from sex work? 
and kill a bunch of pimps. <laughs> um. I just think of Mad Men when I can't remember Christine. I can't remember her name is, but the redhead goes just like I miss when men would go to war and die. <laughs> Taking Iris's advice, maybe Travis tries to look at himself even after all this mm. in the mirror, and he still and he can't. can't. He still can't, and he just. Instead, he decides to focus on the darkness of the New York City. And he, yeah, and he changes the mirror to the rest of New York. It, yeah. And that's how the movie ends. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I'm like, unfortunately or fortunately, because it's, it's kind of like the graduate ending. It, it's like open-ended where you could maybe say, maybe Travis is like a little better, but I still feel like mm-hmm. he's still has a nihilistic view on the world. And it's also just like very much, even though he in the world, from the point of view of everyone else, he's done something good to him. He's very much just like, no, I'm like, it's almost like he feels dirtier for committing these acts. Yeah. That's kind of the vibe I got as well, to be mm. honest. I agree with you. He seemed like, <laughs> he seemed like he, regretted it honestly it seems yeah that, Even though he does kill, that it, killing wasn't as good or fulfilling good, yeah. as he thought it was going to be he which once again brings into people. my uh theory that like i don't think he was in the in the marines War. that's true mm-hmm. but uh, but again like the co- oh my god the walking contradiction again where he yeah. regrets what he does but he still keeps the newspaper clippings of him obviously mm-hmm. it under un- understandably keeps a note from iris's parents but yeah he keeps the newspaper clippings praising him as a hero as well, but at the same time doesn't view himself as one. Once yeah. again, like walking contradiction. So what do you think this got on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I imagine it's close to the 90% at this point. Yep, it is at 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. God, damn, that's yeah. high. Metacritic, what do you think the Metacritic score? And Metacritic's like Rotten Tomatoes, one to, 0 to 100%. Zero to hundred. Uh, I feel like Metacritic's gonna be slightly lower, probably ninety percent. Close-ish. So Rotten Tomatoes, Rotten Tomatoes is ninety-six. Mm. Metacritic is ninety-four percent. Oh wow! What do you think the IMDb is? Four point seven. Oh, sorry. IMDb is out of ten. Oh, nine point six. Ooh. 8.3. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 8.3, which is so good for IMDb. Mm-hmm. And then finally, much letter. Or than I thought it was going to be. Letterbox, 1 to 5, or 0 to 5. 1 to 5. 4.4. Ooh, very close. 4.2. Damn. With 124,000 people rating it 5 out of 5. Damn. And 101K rating it 4 out of 5. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing those four out of five probably didn't like the ending too much. Like, I liked the ending. It was a very interesting take. It didn't go deeply into the nihilism, but I can also see how people are just like, I really didn't appreciate that he got a happy ending for committing violence. So what do you think of Taxi Driver? I liked the movie. I did. Like, my entire life of watching movies, there's only a handful where I haven't liked them. One of them being Pain and Gain. Never, but I think that was more due to my dislike of Mark, Marky Mark, Mark Albert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other one, the most recent one, being the Suicide Squad with Jared Leto. Understandable. Jared, my 
feet called Leto. <laughs> let's not get in. Let's not rehash <laughs> what I, I already said. So, like, I did like this movie. It's a really well shot movie. It's like a really good scripted movie. Everyone who acted in it was wonderful. The soundtrack was great. Yada, yada, yada. But it's very much a film bros movie. Like, at the end of this podcast, my number one goal <laughs> is to be able to neg film bros. <laughs> I want to sit across from a date with a film bro and be like, so what are your favorite movies? Oh, Fight Club and Citizen Kane? That's really cute. No, I just, it's just so typical of you, like, I want to do that so badly. And this is, like, this is gives off the film bro vibe. Yeah. It's very, very much straight white boy. This film is so deep. This film is, like... Drag me. Drag 15-year-old me. Drag 15-year-old me. <laughs> this is very much a 15-year-old boy's first deep, meaningful film. The Drag one me. after going to be quite club. The, uh, the ones after that is probably going to be... Oh, God, what's the most recent one for... What, oh, Joker? Film? Probably Joker, yeah, yeah. It's, it's... Oh, God, Joker ripped so much from this movie, but or was inspired by this movie, I should say. But, yeah, like, when this movie came out in 1976, I can guarantee you boys between the ages of 15 to 25 are just like, you wouldn't understand this film. You don't get this historical context or like the deeper meanings and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's so many boys who saw Travis and just like, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's just one of those self wanky movies, too. Like, I, I'm sure, I'm like, I hope to God Scorsese wasn't out to do that when he filmed it, but it's very much, it's become, like, film wank. It's just straight-up film wank. I, I agree. And, <laughs> I mean, this is why I wanted you on, obviously, because mm-hmm. I wanted, like, different perspectives other yeah. than just like, my own, you know? And I highly recommend watching it, but also know that, like, if you ever meet a guy uh who says, oh, yeah, I love Fight Club, or I love the Joker, the Joker. Taxi driver? Driver. He's going to gaslight you so hard. Run. Just run. run. He's going to gaslight you. He's going to mansplain you. He's not going to male wife you. He's going to gaslight you. What if you girl boss him, though? That's the nagging part that comes in. (laughs) And then I break out how the Barbie movies are better than any, any Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> Overall, do I recommend this film? Yes. And like, um, how do I say, if you've seen Fight Club or you've seen Joker and you're okay with the vibe those movies give, then you're probably going to like Taxi Driver. But like, <laughs> be just go with this in the warning that it's very like the Jodie Foster just really really squeaks me out so much it's uncomfortable to watch a 12 year old act like that it's uncomfortable to see a grown man stalk another woman like it's not like this is a deeply uncomfortable movie but it's just like there's a lot of uncomfortable things but it's a good movie on my rating scale this is a movie i need to get up and walk around sometimes because it's just like like we watched we probably we went through it and I got through the one sitting, but there was definitely a couple of moments, like, if I was watching by myself, I would have just paused and been like, I need to breathe. I just need to go for a walk for a bit. 
yeah, like it's a it's a rent a home movie. It's a get comfortable in your own living room kind of movie. Okay, I'm I'm the opposite mm. somewhat. I do agree that it does give off some very big like I don't know what you would call it, Jen. Like what you just said, like it's film making. Film, it's the film, film makers masturbatory aid. Having said that, though, <laughs> seeing this when I was a fifteen year old. I'm a guy. I identify as male. Mm. Like, seeing this at 15 and the themes of isolation and loneliness, like, really struck a chord with me. Because, you know, I was edgy back then. But I was also mm. suicidal. And, and just like Travis, like, my mental health was deteriorating. And it wasn't in a good spot. But yeah, to me, to me, this film is a good film showcasing how isolated and alone and directionless mid 20 year olds can feel in life which is something I also resonate Mm. again now being 26 and also it talks about some themes there's themes in this film that have like a criticism about Mm. um, masculinity is it good critiques though in the way it's executed maybe not they didn't have to have a uh, Betsy, him stalking her. They didn't have to have the twelve-year-old Jodie Foster in this, but it, but it, but it's it still showcases how weird it is to be a guy and not being able to one express your feelings. Being a straight guy, especially, remember yeah. that scene with him and the other taxi driver, and yeah, that was like their emotional breakthrough. And two, it shows just how like toxic masculinity can be and how. It can movie, deteriorate yeah. your your mindset and your viewpoints on society and stuff. Yeah, for a movie that was created in 1976, there are a lot of breakthrough scenes and characterizations that, um, especially since the 70s were coming off the 60s and the revolutions of both like feminine power and more mm-hmm. political powers. We're also in the age of just like high violence within New York because this movie takes place in, within New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like a lot of themes that do resonate and it's very periodic of the 70s and where the 70s were and it captures that era very well. It's just looking back on it now yeah, ooh, 50 years later? Jesus. Oh my god. Wait, wait, wait. Oh my Almost god. 50 years Almost 50 later, years. Yeah. Five years from now will be 50 years. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And just like seeing Travis, like loneliness and the awkwardness of adulthood, and especially Travis, who is just getting back from a war. Like a lot of those are still resonating today, but also as someone who grew up in the 21st century and has more third wave feminism view, I guess, for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the scenes are just like, okay, like congratulations <laughs> on being the minimum requirement of emotional stability. Good for you. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, in this in the 70s, like Travis is a very complex in a way that doesn't rely on gun home um manliness or masculinity. Extreme or, masculinity. Yeah. yeah, extreme masculinity in the sense of like alcohol like, smoking, like his alcoholism, clothes. yeah, like his alcoholism is portrayed as not something good. His uh sexual deviance isn't betrayed as something to be like laughed at or cheered on. Like, it's very much like when he expresses these negative traits that would have been seen as positive in the early um, 50s or 40s. It's very much just like, no, like, Travis, you can't do those kind of things. Those things aren't appropriate. Those things are making the female lead uncomfortable. Um, 
but it's also to say that like Travis is we've talked about this before that Travis was written in through an autistic lens as well like he can he his has, character, he, he has yeah. to have, you know you guys listening like mm-hmm. he doesn't understand social uh, society and it's like norms and laws he has a hard time communicating with people last thing I want to say though is I I love the cinematography in this I love the jazz oh, soundtrack oh, yeah, the neon lights, the dark atmosphere in this is just so moody. It's such mm. and just like the long shots between the, the character scene. It's mm-hmm. very it captures New York in the seventies so well. But I also feel like it just captures the generalness of New York as well, like the vibrancy of the city. But of course, uh-huh. like each shot is showcasing what New York was like in the 70s. It's a very violent place. The segregation between races is um, at its peak at this point. And of course, like the segregation between races and the racism between uh, Black New Yorkers, White New Yorkers, Latinos, Asians, all that stuff is still going on, mind you, but very more prominent in the city. Because yeah. I, yeah, at this was about 20 years before the broken glass policy would have been in place. And of course, this was a, this, the 70s was the peak of violence throughout uh, America as well. The gang violence and, uh, mm-hmm. and everything. And this was also the time when the CIA was putting, getting black neighborhoods hooked on crack and selling yep. it there, you know. And trying to get um, rid of the Black Panthers because they were sticking up for the black communities and trying to get them get all shit them, done. All the Rainbow Coalition, yeah. Yeah. So I do like that, because that's like mm-hmm. the one thing, that's like the common thing, by the way, mini tangent, but Jennifer, you know this especially, a lot of my favorite films are films that are like the slice of life, kind of, they're mm-hmm. realistic, in a sense, like they rely on, they rely on the, the backgrounds it's of characters. the background of what's going on at the yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly, and it's just, it's just, I love, I guess it's auteur cinema, in a sense, I just mm-hmm. love when directors use utilize a city during a tumultuous time they don't try and like hide hide it yeah like the city becomes its own its its own character in the film and it's very much just like you'll you'll not that you'll miss a huge chunk but you'll miss a good uh understanding of this movie if you don't really have historical context of what was going on in new york in the 70s during this time because this movie also deals with politics it deals with violence it deals with um gang violence gun violence Mm -hmm. uh whites versus blacks blacks versus latinos whites versus latinos and all that stuff and and the and the loss of the vietnam war like this is like the tail end of it and so Mm -hmm. america was really seeing like the loss that they had put upon themselves going into the vietnam war and obviously they weren't winning for the first time in like probably ever i want to say yeah you know, this is the first time like America didn't come out as number one and on top. And, so they were they also, also dealing came out with as, that. like the villains and all that mm-hmm. stuff in there too. Well, so my obviously when I'm 15, my recommendation is watch this, buy this, live this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but having been 26 now, um, I, it's still I I can see its flaws. However, because it had such a special part in my early adolescent development i it just holds a special place in my heart one because i just think robert de niro is so handsome in this but also to love the story love the vibes love the soundtrack i just love 70s cinema (laughs) like american i love american early 70s late 60s cinema especially too so 
I yeah. still recommend yeah. this. I still recommend yeah. getting the Blu-ray. I still recommend if it's ever playing in theaters and IMAX restorations, go and see it. Buy your snacks. <laughs> That's yeah. me, though. I can't yeah, recommend like, this movie as enough. A film by itself, like it's it's wonderfully shot. The characters are well written. Uh, the soundtrack matches the vibe of the film so perfectly. Like it's mm-hmm. a beautiful movie to behold. Like it's. Like what I love especially is just like not the character shots in the film and stuff. It's the in between. It's him driving the taxis around yes. downtown. It's the shots of the mm-hmm. city. It's mm-hmm. the it's the people. It's just the city itself being shot is just so amazing. Like it's a beautifully shot movie. Like Scorsese had a vision and he did it masterfully. So our next film, I rolled a twenty-four on random.com or dot org. It's a hit. Yeah, and so our next film that we will be discussing and reviewing come August 1st is Old Boy by yes, Park Yes, I'm, I'm excited to see that movie. Me too. I haven't seen this actually, so this will be actually a first for both me and Jennifer. Although mm-hmm. we both have seen The Handmaiden. Love The Handmaiden. Yeah. Love so the good. Handmaiden. Handmaiden, so good. Yeah, but this is also his other film that people, besides The Handmaiden, I think this is like the film everyone talks about. Mm -hmm. I also feel like this is a lot of people's first introduction. I want to say pre-Parasite, because now that Parasite, Parasite really opened the door for a lot of people, in my opinion. That's a whole conversation. But pre-Parasite, this was like the movie a lot of people, I think, was like their first foreign film. Either this or Battle Royale. It was either Old Boy or Battle Royale, I remember growing up. was like, the movies that even like non-film nerds would recommend. It's like, oh, I like Old Boy or Battle Royale, you know? Mm-hmm. Battle Royale is a very good movie too. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about Old Boy. So join us next time where me and Jen will be discussing Park Chan-wook's Old Boy. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys Park have a good Kevin. week. Thanks for listening and stay safe out there. Go get your vaccines. We are pro vaccine podcast, right? Oh, yeah, pro vaccine podcast. (laughs) Oh, of course, Moderna gang. Hey, (laughs) get your vaccine, drink some water. Um, And if you're gay, get the Moderna one. (laughs) That part and funded it. (laughs) I love you. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye.